This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hey, everyone. I'm Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind, and I'm back for another Coach's Question podcast. Um, I've got four awesome questions today. And I am going to dive right in. So question number one is this. Aren't there risk factors that can contribute to someone becoming addicted to alcohol? They could be environmental, genetic, social, etc. Example, if I use alcohol to deal with stress, I'm more likely to become addicted because am I more likely to become addicted because I've created a use for it? If I'm a family member, if I have a family member who was an alcoholic, is it possible that my reaction to alcohol might be more intense than someone else? It's an all it's not all or nothing but a spectrum. One reason I ask is that I think about my kids and cautioning them that anyone can be addicted to alcohol. However, you need to be aware because you might have a stronger reaction than others. What are your thoughts? Well, this is a fantastic question. And I get this a lot, right? People want to know why is it, right? Why is it that we tend to see alcohol problems with alcohol kind of hit successive generations? Um, for a long time, there was a thought that maybe there was a genetic component, um, and there's not a ton of evidence backing that up. You know, there's some sort of weak causal stuff there, but it's not like, oh, that's the alcoholism gene. Um, and so, you know, the answer that we've come to is is more complicated than that. Generally speaking. Um, it is uh, sort of a combination of environmental factors and genetic factors, right? And there's a bunch of stuff that has to speak about when you actually start drinking. So, you know, for people who grow up with families with uh, parents who drink excessively, um, they're going to see that all the time, right? They're going to see that behavior. They're going to be around that, you know, that sort of um that sort of lifestyle, and they're going to be more likely to adopt it for themselves. Um, now, it is possible, right? Like I mentioned, there's a small sort of genetic link, so that obviously plays something in it. Um, but the social part we're finding is a lot bigger. Um, in terms of the other part of the question, if I use alcohol to deal with stress, am I more likely to become addicted because I've created a use for it? Um, I wouldn't say that you're more likely to become addicted, but I would say that you're explaining a big part of how the addiction process works, right? So you um, just make something up, right? So you're coming home from work uh, and you say, man, what a rough day. I'm going to have a drink to relax, right? There's where what you call creating a need for it, right? Or using it in a very specific way. Um, as you do that repeatedly, you will start to sort of cement this idea, this belief in your head, which will which will lead toward addiction to alcohol. Um, and so you're not necessarily more likely to do it. You're actually that's how the process works. I guess is the best way of explaining it. Um, you know, your other question of if I have a family member who was an alcoholic, is it possible that my reaction might be more intense? Um, you know, this plays into the question of an addictive personality um, and just in general being susceptible or more susceptible than the average human to addiction. Um, the bottom line is this, you know, when we get, uh, when we start to develop an alcohol use disorder, it has to do with so many different factors and the environmental factors are a really big part of it. Um, so where you are, how old you are, you know, what's going on in your life when you start drinking, especially when you start drinking heavily, are much better predictors of whether or not you're going to develop an 
alcohol use disorder, right? Whether or not you're on that road. Um, so my answer in that situation um, is not necessarily that it's going to be more intense, um, but that maybe this is the behavior you've seen modeled. And subconsciously, I'm not even saying consciously, but subconsciously, um, you may be more likely to react to those situations in the way that you saw your parents react um, or your community react, whatever, whatever the case is there. Um, in terms of talking to your kids, this is what I'm planning on telling my kids, right? I'm planning on telling them, look, you know, the world is inundated with this idea that alcohol is a thing that makes everything better. Um, it's not necessarily the case, right? Obviously, I'm pretty open with my story, you know, and where I've been coming from. And I'm happy to, uh, you know, I'm happy to tell them, um, you know, the gory details of what it meant for me. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, really kind of have them look at, you know, if you're feeling bad, if you're, you know, feeling bad or if you're feeling good right what are you doing to process those feelings instead of hide them with alcohol um, I think that conversation is really, really important. This idea of warning kids, this idea of saying, oh, well, just be careful because everyone else in your family has had a problem with it. Um, I'm not entirely sure how strong that is because I've heard from so many people over and over and over um, that, yeah, I had that conversation. Yeah, I remember that talk with my dad and I personally remember that talk with my dad as well. Um, it didn't necessarily slow me down, but I think a conversation and I just want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with saying that, by the way. Like, look, there's, you know, the, you know this family has a history of this. Um, but also um, making it more about them, right? And making it more about, look, you know, this isn't a way to deal with your problems. Dealing with your problems is the way to deal with your problems. Um, and kind of pointing that out um, is going to be really, really effective. Um, so there you go. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, just, it's such an old, uh, uh, common question, right? Of like, what is, you know, what is at play here, right? What is, uh, what's pushing us in, in, in to drink, right? Is it genetics? Is it environment? Is it both? Um, and I think having this sort of holistic view of all of it is the, is the way to kind of look at it and the way to talk to your kids about it. All right. Next up, uh, is this question. Uh, it reads like this. If alcoholic isn't the right term, then how do I describe my current state? How do I express that long term? I can't flirt with alcohol. It's like a relationship. I can't go back and start over. There's always history to contend with. It's not so much that it's a label, but a descriptor of a very real aspect of my life. At the present moment, alcohol does not control my life. I'm not powerless against it forever. Um, but right now I'm in a wrestling match with it. How can I express this? What an awesome question. You know, um, Part of the reason, and I can say this is absolutely true for me um, and for the, the thousands of people I've worked with that have come through our programs, this term alcoholic and what it means culturally, the, the, the meaning we attach to it, stops so many people from thinking, you know what, I want to change my relationship with booze, right? Because in our minds, in order to quit drinking, in order to go a different direction with what we decide to do with you know, our free time and with our celebratory time, um, that means we have to admit that we're alcoholics. That means in this sort of, in this category, this idea that like there's normal people and there's alcoholics and people don't wanna be in that alcoholic group and so they don't admit like maybe I wanna make some changes and then they don't make changes and then they're more unhappy. Um, and so this term, right, alcoholic, what does it mean? What do I say? How do I define myself? Um, is a great, great question. So uh, a couple of things about this. First, there's no need for you to label yourself, right? Like anything else, 
um, you've just changed your preferences. You know, I, you know, when you were a kid, you probably, I'm just going to guess, but you probably, you know, hated vegetables, right? And you didn't grow up and then call yourself a vegetabler, you know, whereas before you were a non-vegetabler or the same thing is true with, you know, um, anything else in your life that shifts over time, right? It's with alcohol, for some reason, we feel the need to have this label. And we've got to label ourselves, we're either here or over there. Um, very simply, um, you've just chosen not to drink. And that's a fantastic thing, right? Um, and if people want to ask you questions about it, I think, you know, in terms of explaining your own experience, I don't know how much of a label you actually need. Um, you know, telling people that you had enough. What I like to tell people is that, you know, it just, it, over time, I thought alcohol held something that it didn't for me, and I just got tired of it. And so I was done with it, um, but it was hard for me to stop, right? That's a very simple way to, de to, de to describe the situation. Um, if you need a label, which is absolutely okay, you can say things, what we choose to say at This Naked Mind um, is I'm alcohol free, right? Um, or just saying I don't drink. Um, all of those things are absolutely, absolutely fine. Um, you know, if you want to express to people like I quit drinking, right? If you want to draw that line in the sand, um, that's totally fine. Or you can just say, I don't drink, right? And that could imply a bunch of different things, right? That could mean that you never drank. It could also mean that you don't currently drink. Um, but expressing this in different ways without using that term alcoholic, right? Instead using the term and thinking about yourself in terms of someone who, um, you know, alcohol kind of, uh, alcohol tripped you up, but then you're dealing with it like any other issue in life. Um, so that's how I would frame it. Um, I like to frame it personally that I don't drink, right? That's just what I've always said or what I've said since I quit drinking. Um, not I quit drinking, not, um, not I had a problem or not, certainly not. I was an alcoholic and so I can't. Um, to me, it's saying, look, I took a clean look at what alcohol was doing in my life, what, uh, what, uh, how it was changing things for me, how it was changing my experience, and I decided I don't want it anymore, so I don't drink. That's it, right? It doesn't need to be this whole big long story. So I hope that's, I hope that's helpful. I know it's, it can be very confusing, and especially when that term alcoholic is thrown around and all the baggage that comes with it, um, it can be very, very difficult for people. Uh, all right. Next question uh, is this. I'd love to hear how people are managing a partner who is really not interested in cutting back. It's not a problem for him. If anything, the problem is me trying to keep up with someone who is twice my size. Although I do think we would feel closer with less booze. Um, yeah, so first of all, let me start off by saying I get this question a lot. Um, and it happens um, in, you know... Um, like primary relationships, like spousal relationships. Um, it happens in um, good friend relationships, like friend groups. Um, there always seems to be one person, um, most of the time, who's kind of leading the way with saying, you know what, I am drinking too much and I need to make a change. Um, and so a couple of things can happen, especially, you know, with a significant other. Um, the first is, especially if the two of you drank together a lot, which it kind of sounds like that's the case, um, is that by you quitting drinking, right? By you changing your drinking habits, by you saying, just the very act of saying, you know, I was drinking too much and this is an issue with which I need help, um, you're holding up a mirror to him. 
Um, and, you know, if you think back before you decided to, to reach out and get some support, there was probably a period of time where you were struggling with this idea. Maybe actually, like the last question, you were wondering, am I an alcoholic, right? And then you didn't necessarily want to admit that right away, and so you started fighting. Um, a lot of us, what a lot of us will do is we'll just kind of cram this information down. We'll just kind of ignore it, right? And so there might be a thought, maybe it's on a Sunday morning and you're getting up and you're going, oh, man. Like, I really, uh, I really went overboard last night. I wonder if I have a problem with this. But, you know, at the time, you've got a headache and you're nauseous and you're not feeling good. And so you just kind of say, ah, I'm not going to worry about that right now. Um, and then you just kind of push those worries and concerns aside. So when your partner suddenly says, you know what, I got to do something about this. One of the things that they're doing is they're actually reaching in and grabbing that concern that you have and pointing to it and saying, look, look at this. Remember thinking about this? And that can be very uncomfortable. Right. And so sometimes people will react, uh, will not necessarily be super supportive in that situation. Right. So there might be the situation when they will say, you know what? I hear it and that's fine, good for you, but I'm not gonna stop. And you might even see their consumption go up a little bit when that happens. The reason it's because we're a lot of us are convinced that when we're stressed, uh, we need alcohol. So when they get stressed by having someone say, you know what, maybe this relationship with booze isn't the best thing for the two of us, um, consumption will go up because they feel that that's going to help them feel better. Now, to answer your question more directly about what do you do, right? There's a few things that I always recommend. Um, and these are good, by the way, in every relationship of your life, but particularly with your significant other. Um, so first and foremost, figure out what it is that you want. And maybe you don't know this at the outset, right? But think about questions like, do you want to be around someone who's drinking, especially in early days? Longer term, obviously, it's easy, and we can't avoid it forever. But in those first 30 days, the first 60 days, what do you want those days to be like? So do you want that person to drink in the house? Is it fair to ask them not to? Um, do you want to plant some other activities for yourself? So maybe you're around uh, them if they're having a drink from time to time, but you know, other nights of the week, you're, you know, out doing whatever it is you like to do, right? What sort of conversations, what sort of boundaries do you want to have about conversations and connection around alcohol, right? Can you say instead, hey, can we have one or two nights alcohol free a week? Um, and then these other nights not, right? Um, you know, figure out what those boundaries are is, is number one, right? This is what I need. Step two, which you probably guessed, is to communicate those to your significant other. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. Um, so one, and the one that I recommend the most, um, is just having a very direct conversation, right? And saying, listen, I'm struggling with this. Reiterate to them, like, I'm not expecting you to do anything right now, but this is something I need to do for me. And because I need to do it for me, here are a few things I'd like to ask of you right? And make it, you know, not a blaming conversation, not an angry conversation, not a, I've been trying to do this and you're holding me back sort of conversation, but instead saying, hey, you know, I'm making this change. It would really help me if you could do the following few things. Most of the time that works very, very well. Um, and so understanding what those boundaries are and setting those boundaries and communicating them are a big part of it. The last part is enforcing that. Right. So if you feel like things are changing, if you're starting to feel uncomfortable, it's either speaking up or removing yourself from the situation. Um, so, you know, if you say like say you asked uh, him not to drink at home um, and, you know, a couple nights a week he starts drinking at home. 
Okay, fine. Like that's what he's going to do. You cannot control him. What you can control though is what you're doing during that time. So maybe while he's drinking, you're not hanging out with him, right? Maybe you're outside working on the yard or maybe you're in a different room reading, right? You can control what you're around. If he's not going to change um, because of what you're looking for, or at least make a small, you know, concession, um, then it would make sense to, um, you know, it would make sense to, to kind of change your routines until you get on more stable footing, on more stable ground, uh, which happens with more days alcohol free, um, and then you're able to kind of kind of look at it again. Um, so it's the same. It's similar to what a lot of people will say about, you know, don't go to bars or don't go to social events uh, without uh, without. Um, you know, in those first few weeks, right? Um, because this idea is like, you don't necessarily want to be around it, but over time that becomes, first of all, you can't avoid them forever and it just becomes easier, right? So what I would recommend is lay out those boundaries, communicate them with your significant other and hold to them. Um, and over time that will absolutely change. So, but again, like this is a, this is a common, common, common question and concern that people have uh, when they start to go alcohol free. Uh, all right, I've got one more here. Um, here it is. Although alcohol is an addictive substance, many, if not most people drink and don't become addicted or drink more than they want. There is still a question in my mind about why some people fall prey to that addiction and others don't. Um, can see this is kind of related to the second question. Um, so first things first, and I want to make this abundantly clear. Alcohol is an addictive substance. Full stop. <laughs> That's it, right? Alcohol is addictive to humans. And so uh, this question of, well, maybe some people get addicted to it and others don't, and you know, it's just not true. And it's not backed up by evidence. Uh, my personal belief on this, my personal thought on this is that given enough time and enough booze, anyone can become addicted. Now, to answer your question, why is it that some people do and some people don't? couple of reasons. First of all, uh, back to the answer that I gave uh, to the second question, which is what behavior was modeled for you, right? What did you see growing up? Did you see people, you know, celebrating and drinking? Did you see people having bad days and drinking? Did you see people drinking every day, right? Was drinking just part of life? Um, it was drinking to excess part of life, right? So there's going to be those factors that are going to play into it. Um, other factors that tend to play into it. Oh, and I should say, by the way, as you start drinking more and more, you're more and more likely to develop um, an alcohol use disorder. Um, other things that are going on is what is your mental state, right? What what part of your life are you in when you start drinking? Are you at a good place, right? Or are you taking comfort and refuge and solace in alcohol? Um, is it uh, your, you know, quote unquote, social juice, right? Does it help you communicate with others? How do you look at alcohol, right? That plays a very, very, very big role in how people um, end up becoming, uh, whether or not they end up developing, you know, a more moderate or severe alcohol use disorder. Um, another thing I'll say about this is, and this is not necessarily the most popular opinion, um, but there are lots and lots of people who are suffering from an alcohol use disorder who do not even know it, right? And are not even necessarily thinking along those lines. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that, right? First, we've changed the definition, right? The DSM-5 uh, came out with, uh, you know, got developed this term alcohol use disorder and we look at it like a spectrum um, instead of like a you know black or white situation and because of that there's a lot more people um, that are in that uh, in that alcohol use disorder realm 
than uh, than we used to think. Um, but in terms of who gets to a point where you know they admit it and they want to make changes and they want to to develop some different habits, um, that's going to really fall down to those factors that I mentioned before. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's it's so funny because this is a question which I know a lot of people. Um, really spend a lot of time thinking about it. I spend a lot of time thinking about it as well. Um, but, you know, the reality of it is, um, is, you know, we are where we are on our journey. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about, like, why do some people get there and why do others don't? Um, and those reasons of environment and, you know, personal, you know, kind of where you are in your life with drinking and the amount that you drink regularly, right? Those are the things that really kind of factor how fast does someone go from a non-drinker to someone with an AUD, right? Like, how quickly does that happen? Um, but there's a reason as well that it happens over time. And so more and more people we know um, as we get older are going to start uh, going to start saying, man, I have a problem with alcohol, right? There's a reason that there's way more people are saying it in their 40s and 50s than are people saying it in their 20s um, because it takes time for this to grow. Um, so not a very clean cut answer, but that really is it. There's a host of factors, um, but alcohol is an addictive substance. Um, it you know, as time goes on, more and more people fall into the alcohol use disorder spectrum. There are more people in there than necessarily understand it right now. Um, and the speed at which that happens is the amount that we really rely on alcohol to help us cope with other things, right? So if we say, I'm having a bad day, I need a drink. I'm having a good day, I need a drink. I need to talk to someone, I need a drink, you know, all of these things. Um, that's what's going to really kind of like perpetuate us down the, you know, down the alcohol use disorder spectrum. Um, so I hope that that makes sense. I know it's kind of a, it's not necessarily the, the, the most cut and dry answer, um, but it is, uh, it is the way it is. So, well, folks, that's it for me this month. Um, thanks for hanging out with me for this, uh, this 20 minutes or so. Um, and I will be next, I'll be back next month with another coaching podcast. Take care. Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? <laughs> Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.